Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities, learning from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi friends, this is Adam Borneman with the Ministry Collaborative, and today I have the pleasure of being with Ben Garrett and Kiva Niceweb. Ben is the Innovation Programming and Operations Manager at The Hatchery, which is at Emory University Center for Innovation, and Kiva is a college chaplain at Westminster College in Missouri. Thanks so much for joining me for a few minutes today. Thanks for having us, Adam. Good to be here. Tell me really quickly um, how you guys know each other. I've known Ben for quite some time, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have Ben introduce me to Kiva. So what is y'all's background and your connection? I'll start. Um, Ben and I met in graduate school at the University of Chicago Divinity School. We were in a cohort together. Uh, The University of Chicago, now in its MDiv program, its Master of Divinity program, has an interfaith cohort, which is a super awesome way of learning how to do ministry in the world today. And you develop these really tight relationships with the classmates that you have. And so I'm a Mennonite and Ben is not a Mennonite, but we were in divinity school studying for ministry together. Um, and so we, when we were both living in Chicago, that was how we got to know each other. Anything else, Ben, that I missed that's salient? I think maybe one thing is Kiva probably was the first person to perform a very University of Chicago divinity school talking move on me, which is you're in a cohort of interreligious folks. And so you start out saying things like, well, we Christians, blah, 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 blah. And I think Kiva is probably one of the first people to be like, what do you mean by we? Who's the we? <laughs> Who is the we? <laughs> so I had to learn very quickly to use I statements, which was uh, good for me as a human. So thank you, Kiva. I have no memory of that, but awesome. I'm well, really glad that that's your first memory of our relationship. Yeah, and I'm sure the University of Chicago Divinity School appreciates y'all's endorsement and sharing with your experience. So if anybody <laughs> wants to learn about I statements and we statements, that's where you go. <laughs> that's the place. Among others, I'm sure. <laughs> One of the things that you all share in common, which is uh, to me so intriguing and valuable, is that you are committed to being ministry leaders in very different sort of contexts. You care about being faithful in that. And you work with young people, both of you in an undergraduate context. So for our audience today, could you just say briefly the context you're in and what's valuable to you about that? So at Emory University, I am working with both undergraduate and graduate students, and we are working across the university. So we're definitely looking at innovation and entrepreneurship kind of in an interdisciplinary context. And one of the things that's really amazing about Emory for sure, but I'm sure other universities as well, is we're getting a lot of students who have already founded organizations, who have already been leaders, uh, who are creators and builders in their own right, just when they show up. And so it's really incredible to have that kind of as the starting point of a relationship with a student of they are already bringing in 
sort of a portfolio of really incredible things that they are already working on. Uh, and in my role, I basically just get to help them to figure out what the next right step is along that sort of innovation or leadership journey. Yeah, I really enjoy that. And I think it's a really unique place to be and to see those future leaders, but they're already leaders uh, and getting to see the different things that they're working on. Yeah, so I wear a bunch of hats because I work at a small liberal arts school and we're a classic, like mostly residential, mostly traditional college age. So we're thinking like the 18 to 22 age range, not exclusively, but that's primarily our our students who attend here. And so I mean, I look out the window and I see a bunch of brick buildings. I see a bunch of really big quad with a lot of grass. We have columns like white columns um, and a bunch of our students live on campus. And so I also teach in the classroom, a couple of classes in the religious studies department. And I, in addition to serving as the head chaplain, I run something or direct something called the Center for Faith and Service, which houses our intercultural engagement um, closest to like a multicultural center kind of on a college campus. It hosts our community engagement, which is service and volunteering and sort of ethical engagement with the community beyond the campus and then spiritual life uh, broadly conceived. And so I, I work with our Christian students of a variety of different expressions of Christianity, but I also work with our Muslim students, our spiritual but not religious students, our Buddhist students, since I'm in a college chaplaincy sort of capacity and not a campus ministry capacity. So I understand what I do as ministry and an expression of my Christian faith because I want everyone to know that they have inherent worth and they're all, in my eyes, children of God. And so that gives them inherent worth. I don't use that language in my day to day very often unless I'm talking with Christian students as a way of trying to sort of like live out of that sort of truth for myself uh, rather than imposing my framing onto other people. But that's why I'm really interested in being in a college setting, um, because I get to help remind all of my students, regardless of their faith tradition or, or maybe they're seeking and don't really wouldn't claim one a different way of understanding their worth as people that's not tied to their grades, not tied to the job that they're going to get after they graduate or not get after they graduate, um, not tied to which Greek house they're affiliated with, not tied to how much their parents make and all of that stuff. Trying to find other ways for them to understand their worth in the world and then what a good vocation might be for them that's not only defined by the terms that they're, they're offered by the sort of way higher education works in this country right now. What do pastors and other ministry leaders need to understand about Gen Z or iGen that is currently being missed or not understood? So one thing that really sticks out to me in my context is the level of creativity that Gen Z expresses. And there's some sort of like stereotypical ways that we're familiar with thinking about that sort of like social media content production, which we could, I suppose, I think there's a temptation to look down our nose at that a little bit of sort of like, that's sort of a cheap form of creation. I don't think that that's true. Actually, I think that sort of social media expression of creativity should be taken more seriously, because there's a lot of really interesting things that young people are doing with social media and the way that they are thinking about their identity in social media maybe makes older people a little nervous, but is really fascinating. And a way of intentionality of crafting a self is really, really interesting. And I think they're doing that in a way that other generations maybe weren't at the same age. One of the things that we have done at the hatchery is basically give students 
challenges and sort of let them figure out how to solve them. And that has been one of the ways that we have been teaching different kinds of processes for innovation. And what's really astonishing is you basically give one of these Gen Z folks a challenge and not a tremendous amount of direction. And like a week later, they've already done way more than you would have thought to do yourself and usually are coming up with more like nuanced and creative solutions than I would have come up with given the same challenge. And so I think just the level of creativity and like willingness to express that creativity and create different solutions to really challenging problems is I think probably like an underutilized resource in religious communities. So that's one thing that definitely stands out to me. I think one thing that I would add to that also is that at least for the students that are in my context, I watch them sort of crave depth, but they're not really sure all the time how to best configure which thing to go deep with, which relationship to go deep with, which faith tradition to go deep with, which practice to go deep with, which of the many values that they could commit to to go deep with. And so they sort of watch all of the older people, even a few years older than they watch people around them trying to figure out, okay, so if this person has really committed to this, why did they do that? How did they pick that one? There's so many different options, even with all of the problems, like why pick Christianity back, right? Maybe you were raised Christian, but then you were aware of all of the issues in like Christian history or like colonization or all of the things that are bad about it. And so if there's a lot of options, why, why would you pick something? How do you trust it enough to go deep with it and stick with it long-term? And this is true for a lot of different kinds of things, not just faith traditions. And I think one of the ways that they try to figure this out and negotiate this for themselves is they watch us. They watch people who are older than them who have made such commitments and they're trying to figure out how we did that. And if we can't give them good uh, witness for our own reasons for how we did that beyond like just because it's what my parents did or it just seemed okay, um, having those kinds of conversations with them and really being able to walk the talk with them is really helpful. And I think that they can come across as sort of scattered and flaky and interested in too many things and chasing shiny things and always doing stuff online. And some of that is maybe true, but some of the way that you have an antidote to that is really helping them figure out where the, where it's okay to land. Where's a safe, trustworthy place to land? And how did you figure out it was safe? Because they're not always sure Um, what the steps to take are. And so they're sort of really watching. And if you're not able to do it with your life, not just your words, um, they have a hard time trusting it for good reason. I think, Kiva, you really touched on something that I have only sort of learned recently about Gen Z that I think is super fascinating, which is I think there's a perception that Gen Z kids are not interested in what older generations have to say about anything. There's like a perception that they don't care. I think what actually is true in which Kiva, I think touched on really nicely is that they're looking for role models and in like inspirational people, they don't want to be told what to do, but they want to see like a good life or a life that's inspiring or actions that are inspiring and has good integrity. Yeah. And they, Mm -hmm. I think like Gen X and like millennials, they have a really strong and keen sense for hypocrisy but they are looking for role models. They are looking for people whose lives look a particular way and they listen very carefully to those folks. So I think there's just like a misperception about 
Gen Z's relationship and learning relationship to older generations. Yeah, this is really fascinating to me. I I wonder if we can make it even more concrete. So let's say, for example, that a pastor or leader from a more conventional church setting, and you can pick whatever context you want, urban, rural, small town, suburban, whatever makes sense to you, comes to you asking you to play a consultant role uh, with how to do faith formation with young people in their community. What are your starting points for that conversation? Well, I tell them my hourly rate and see <laughs> if they can afford that or not. I thought you were, aren't you millennial? We don't pay millennials. <laughs> right. <laughs> One way to answer that would be, well, what would you do with somebody your own age? I mean, like, in a sense, I think that some people get distracted by the technological innovation and this perception that there's some sort of like Gen Z's are unicorns and like no one knows how to reach them. And I think that, I mean, Yes, obviously technology is changing how people interact with things and their toleration for Comic Sans is way down. But, you know, it's you also how would you get to know anyone? Right. How would you develop a mature relationship that's appropriate in a ministry context with anyone? I think it starts with actually getting to know them allowing them a safe container to ask really hard questions and they won't feel safe with you to ask hard questions that might challenge things that even you believe as the person who's sort of the ministry authority in their context until they get to know you and they feel like you're genuinely interested in the the questions and the creativity and what they're pulling together and how their identity makes sense to them and and what they wonder about and which of their friends they jive with and which they don't and why and what they're worried about in the news or what they think is silly and people get too worked up about. Like you have to just invest in getting to know them first and then you'll really be able to kind of let it fall from the relationship that you're developing, I think. Because Ben's exactly right. It's a challenge to develop relationships, but if you get to know someone, they'll sort of help you along. Like they are your resource. You just have to invest in them as people. My yes and to that is one thing that is really astonishing. I think we know this, but is astonishing up close is how like socially conscious this generation is. Starting from questions like, what are the big problems in the world that you really care about? Like, what are the issues that you really care about? What are you seeing in the news that matters to you? Like very young people in Gen Z have answers to those questions in a way that I didn't when I was that age. And so I think that can be a really interesting place to start some of these conversations. And I think, yeah, to Kiva's point of just like starting out, just taking them seriously as like peers is really helpful. And I think, I think more often than not, older people will be surprised at how easy it is to treat this generation as a peer because of their level of social consciousness. It's really astounding. I think this is true across the sort of like conservative liberal divide as well for this age group, because my context is much more majority conservative. Even though I work in higher ed, uh, my sort of the general milieu here is much more conservative. And so I would say that this is true. Um, the language and the expression and the maybe some of the content knowledge might be different for the entry points for different kinds of social consciousness for folks who come from progressive spaces or were formed in conservative spaces. But I think what both of them share in common is a strong sense of they're interested in justice as they define it. They're interested in how to make the world fair and safe and uh, brave and courageous as they define it. And so to also not get turned off by 
packaging or language that you might not recognize, look for the values behind what they're saying, even if they're coming to you in a language that isn't your first sort of whether you're a progressive or conservative um, Try to listen for what they're trying to say and what matters to them behind that, because that will give you a window into what matters to them. And then if they need more information or a better sense of history for different things, you can intervene in that way later. But first, I would say to kind of take what Ben was saying, they do have strong opinions about how to make the world an okay and just place as they understand that and following them and journeying with them along that direction and providing sort of tweaks and corrections as needed is a good way to to invite them along. It's really interesting to hear you all describe this um, as it intersects with the work that we do with pastors all over the country, because the multi-layered crises of the moment that we're in with the uh, civil unrest and the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that has been accelerated in all of that is the realization that our overthinking of programs is actually a problem, that we our starting point is how do we program for X group of people? And one of the lines I've started to use is that it's really not about program, it's about posture. So how do you receive, listen, give ownership, agency to people and treat them like human beings? Um, I often use the analogy of it's like going to a doctor who doesn't listen and just gives you a bunch of prescriptions and has never listened to you at all. I and mean, we have to kind of learn how to flip that script a little bit. Anything you're reading or resources that you've come across that you have found valuable? I would recommend uh, Nathan Stuckey's Wrestling with Rest. It's a book about Sabbath, and it's designed for youth ministry. He's out of the Princeton context. It's a couple of years old, the book now, I guess. But it's one of those books that's written for uh, youth ministry, but then ends up being useful for ministers of all ages <laughs> in the current time. I just finished reading uh, Willie Jennings' After Whiteness, and I think it's fantastic on its own, but I think it's actually particularly germane to this conversation because of he's talking about education, and he is talking about a pretty like radically egalitarian vision for education. And I think sort of what it would look like for genuine collaboration to happen between different kinds of folks in like formation processes. And I think that his idea of joining connects to a lot of the things that we have been talking about of just sort of we don't have a privileged position relative to this generation or we ought not think of ourselves as having a privileged position but how do we join in creating a better world together i think a lot of what jennings is talking about would be really helpful when leaders are asking for books i always recommend emergent strategy by adrian marie brown it's a fascinating very strange, very beautiful book of basically different ways to build uh, values-driven organizations and why one should do that and some really interesting ideas about what that might look like. So Emergent Strategy is always one of my go-to recommendations. Interfaith Youth Corps has a lot of good programming, especially aimed for folks in the like sort of traditional college age range. If you're interested in questions of how to work together across lines of difference, they have good resources. They have a brand new curriculum called We Are Each Other's. It's based on the Gwendolyn Brooks poem and a lot of free stuff. Basically, if you sign up to be in their newsletters, you can get free things and it's cool snappy graphics they're used to working with young folks so if the graphics scare you they've got you but it's a really nice way of getting to conversations about values and depth 
usually have a good read of what's going on with generational shifts and how to engage with that instead of being sort of stymied by it. I find those good resources in my work and I think I would recommend them to anyone, even if you're in a context that is squarely just only within one faith tradition. I think your young folks are aware of a lot of other faith traditions and other ways of being and interested in how those speak into um, their own faith expression as well. And so it's useful. Thank you both so much for the conversation today. One of the things we love to do is connect our pastors to gifted, insightful leaders, and you certainly fit that description. Thanks so much for the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 